Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and others. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me back on the show is Erica Reed, who we had in our first season to explore and continue to examine this topic of trauma-informed leadership. So let me tell you a little bit about Erica for those of you who are meeting her for the first time. Erica N. Reed, LCSWC, is a psychotherapist and workplace wellness expert, specializing in helping corporate leaders retain diverse professionals by leading with empathy. Erica is the founder and CEO of Leading Well Solutions, which helps managers become inclusive leaders with higher levels of emotional intelligence, improved communication skills, and the ability to optimize the unique strengths of employees. Leading Well Solutions training, coaching, and consulting services are provided through the lens of trauma-informed leadership. This perspective considers the unique lived experiences of the workforce and how stress and trauma impact an organization's culture of belonging and psychological safety. Taking her clinical and training expertise to the classroom, Erica is an adjunct professor at Catholic University of America. Erica's experience as a college professor provides a unique understanding of adult learning styles, and she designs training curriculums where everyone in attendance can easily understand and immediately implement the actionable strategies provided. Erica's trainings are engaging and informative, no fluff, just lots of great information to get and keep your attention and energy to help you develop and grow. Welcome back to the show, Erica. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was so excited when I knew this was coming up because this, I love talking with you. Likewise. It's, and it's been a minute. So, so what, you know, what has changed or how are you different? I know this is a very loaded question, but what are some of the things that have evolved for you, uh, particularly in your work since last time we spoke? You know, there's a lot that's changed, but unfortunately a lot has remained the same in that the work still needs to be done where workplaces are not the space that employees and leaders need them to be, to be able to, you know, be effective in how they engage, to be productive and to really not hate every day that they have to show up in that space. So the work has continued. It's it's evolved a little bit in that it's really focusing on both HR professionals and how they Mm -hmm. are experiencing the workplace because they're the source of all the problems. People go to them with the problems. People don't go to them with their warm fuzzies oftentimes. So there's a lot of secondary trauma mm. and burnout that's happening with HR professionals. But of course, definitely still focusing on helping people managers lead with empathy because a lot of the HR stuff would be managed more effectively if people managers led more with empathy. Yeah. So they're very much connected. It's I, I well, we could definitely go down that rabbit hole. And maybe that's a future conversation around the secondary trauma when you're in HR, because that's something that I think we don't talk about enough when you but that can also happen when you're a people manager. I, I feel like there is there has been this shift of more people who are in positions of power and authority are realizing that the workforce is changing, that people are wanting different things 
And not everyone, but I definitely see some people we work with that are honestly questioning if they're the right leader for the moment um, because of the needs, because of the uh, way people are wanting to be treated at work. And one of the things that I'm curious about to hear from you is what do you, what have you seen shift, um, whether it's in what workers are expecting, what leaders are experiencing, uh, what has been some of the evolution you've seen over the last couple of years? Because it does feel like there's been an acceleration of just needing to treat people better. I I 100% agree with you. And I, I think from, from what I have seen, it's been more in your face. Mm. You know, it's not just everything is just everything. We do what we do every day. This is just how we do it. I think employees have become more empowered to be their quote unquote authentic self to show up with their voice on what they need from their managers, what they need from their organization. And because there's not a silencing going on Mm -hmm. within themselves as it had been previously, it's kind of made the leadership, the organization hold up a mirror to themselves to say, hey, you know, people are speaking loudly and they're leaving. Why are they and what do we need to do differently? Sometimes that works in in a way that's a healthy growth of the culture, a healthy acceleration of how um, employees are receiving the information they need, the resources they need. And sometimes it's just ends up being, uh, we see it, but it's a them problem, not a us problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said something really interesting of, I mean, essentially that people aren't silencing themselves anymore. Uh, Can you say more about that? You know, it's just been so much more information that's more readily available about um, the impact of trauma, about mental health not having the same stigma that we just don't talk about that anymore. So when people have definitions, when people have awareness, when people see that it's not just a me thing, but a collective us thing, then they can they can see themselves. They can self-identify and they can say, wow. So that explains what I've been going through. Wow, that's why I've been having these challenges. No, it's not just me. And now I understand me a little bit better. So if I understand me, I can advocate for me in a totally different way. Mm. I I, I completely agree with that. I I was just talking to a mentor last night about this. I said people just have access to way more information now. They have... Whether it's through TikTok, whether it's through other social media platforms, people are talking about things. I even had a client last year who was in a fire department who said, you know, what's tricky is that people can see what other companies are doing now. And so if we aren't keeping up with it, then, you know, people can be frustrated or maybe not realize that we can't deliver the same kind of things as a fire department as, say, like maybe a tech company in California. One of the things, one of the one of the ideas that we've been reflecting on fairly recently, and this uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna blank out on her name and I'll add it into the show notes. But oh no, I got it. Dr. Barbara Kellerman wrote. Uh, she's a Harvard professor, and she wrote a book called Professionalizing Leadership. And the book is essentially making the argument 
that we need to think about people management positions with the same level of rigor that we think about other professionals. For example, as somebody who is a psychotherapist, you could not just say, I'm going to be a psychotherapist without an incredible amount of training, an incredible amount of ongoing certifications, of supervision, all of that. And she posited this argument that we just promote people into accidental managers. And as I always say, and we give them humans and say, good luck, don't mess them up too much. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm curious what comes up for you when you think about the position we put managers in, because sometimes I, I feel it can be easy to villainize, it can be easy to blame people who are in positions of authority. And, and to be clear, there's accountability that needs to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm not I'm not saying otherwise. And we don't set people managers up for success for navigating the complexity of the humans that they need to serve. Yes, yes. So agree. You know, oftentimes managers are put into a position because they know how to count the number of widgets and they're good at their widgets. They're awesome. They are rock stars at their widgets. And when they're given this great responsibility, and I always use a Spider-Man analogy, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. There's just an assumption they'll figure it out. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned my role as a psychotherapist, one of the things that I think I bring to this, this world of, of training and coaching and leadership, trauma-informed leadership is I am able to see the view from each side of the desk because mm. of the people that I've worked with. I work with the employee. I work with the manager in the same way that the employee expresses frustration and stress that they've started a new job without a training manual. And they were just told to go figure out their job. Maybe you'll shadow somebody for a couple of days and then you're on your own. We do need to lend that same compassion and understanding to the manager because they're given the same type of throw it, throw you in the water and figure out how to swim. And that's why I love what I do because I get to see that transformation take place. I get to see that manager that's, you know, they want to do better. Mm -hmm. They want to lead with empathy, but they don't know how they just know how to count their widgets. Yeah. And the part that we really need to understand that I, I do emphasize with the trauma informed leadership. And, and, and one of the principles that I really like to help people see is when we create spaces, when we create opportunities to build resilience, especially in your mm -hmm. role as a people manager, that's a way to resist re-traumatization. Because if you are a people manager and you don't have a skill set, you can unintentionally re-traumatize, trigger, injure, hurt the employee because you just didn't know you didn't have a skill set. You weren't shown. It's not because you're an evil, bad person. Yeah. It's just because you weren't gifted the opportunity to grow in that area. And and it, it, the there's a voice that I, I'm trying to listen to more or a uh, way of thinking, because you and I are on. I mean, you're preaching to the choir of how do we how do we take better care of humans? How do we not re-traumatize them? And then obviously we work with people who are like, I, it's a job people need to show up. And the, the thing that the thing that came up for me is right. And if you help build the resilience in people, not only will this happen, 
they will be more present. They will be able to produce more. So if your value is output and innovation and creativity, guess what? When you take care of your people and you uh, reduce the harm that happens to them, they're going to bring more and better work to the table. And so that's, you know, and I wrestle with that of how much do you lean into that because it feels so transactional. But the reality is is sometimes that's the door in to get people. So I'm curious, and I know this might be a big ask, but I'm sure it's something you've thought about. What what do you wish if, if you in an ideal world... Okay, we're going to, I want to envision with you in an ideal world, what knowledge, skills, practices, habits, the whole gamut, what do you wish? Like if you could say, hey, before you become a manager, we're going to give you a shot. I don't know why I'm using the medical thing, but we're going to implant you. It's like the matrix. We're going to implant you with these (laughs) skill sets. What do you feel like are some of the most important skill sets that you wish somebody had when they stepped into their first management of people roles? Wow. Yeah, I, I would love to give a shot. Give, give a shot. <laughs> I know, it would be so easy. We'd make so much money. <laughs> I wish it was know, that easy. I don't know why that's I what wish. came up for me, but I was thinking like downloading it, just implementing it. Here it is. Yes. Like you got it. That's it. That, I love that. We'll, we'll go with download. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Medical technology, <laughs> AI will figure it out. We'll <laughs> AI will figure it out. Yeah. I, I love, I love the download because the download is really what's needed because, mm. you know, when, when, if I had my magic wand and I'm a, you know, yeah. I can make magic happen. I would love for managers before they start their day one to have a good understanding of what I like to call the lens framework. Mm. And that is a way for a manager to learn about the impact of trauma and mental health Mm. on themselves as well as on their employees so that they can understand that what you see may not always be the only answer, the only rationale. That employee that is staring off at the space during a meeting it, it may not be because they're not motivated. It may not be because they are disengaged and thinking about their indeed, you know, search engine. It may be because there's something else going on. Yeah. So when we learn about the impact of trauma and stress and mental health, then that will change and shift the way that the assumptions that we make about people. If we can have a measure of empathy mm-hmm. with the emotional intelligence piece, that is huge. It is important for us to practice that, that social awareness, that self-awareness, the challenge that I think, um, that I have with the emotional intelligence is, you know, at this point, a lot of people have gone through emotional intelligence training, but why don't we see the impact? Once again, it's because they don't understand the impact of trauma and mental health and how that connects to the emotional intelligence and the work it takes it, you know, when we think about increasing self-awareness and emotional regulation and social awareness and all of the different components of it, it is a lifelong journey. And I feel like for high achieving people, people who are used to understanding something that's very tactical or technical or concrete, one of the, one of the traps that I see people fall into often is they confuse knowing something for doing it. A lot of people know what emotional intelligence is. A lot of people took the training, but they're not necessarily doing the work. 
And they think that that's enough. Anyway, we could go off on a tangent. I want to go back to your lens framework because I'm really loving it. So the, the L stands for learn the impact of mental health. And I really appreciate not only on others, but yourself, because we know that people are experiencing burnout. We know that there are people in management who are in toxic relationships themselves with the bosses they work for, or or maybe even potentially they Personally. have personally or team members on their staff that are actually causing challenges. E stands for the empathy and the emotional intelligence. What's the N? The N is right up your lane with navigating those conversations. Mm. It's about communication. It's about understanding, you know, how to have those difficult conversations, not shy away from them. You know, too often people, when they're uncomfortable, they stay still. Mm. They become self-protective. It's like, Mm. I don't want to put myself in a difficult situation. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know what to say. So I'm going to say nothing. Even they may think it's a measure of empathy where that person is really having a hard time. I know they have a lot going on in their life, so I'm not going to give them this feedback. You may be stunting your employee's growth if Mm. you don't give them the feedback. So it's not so much about sheltering or protecting. It's about engaging in a healthy way with a trauma-informed way, because when we go back to the the L, the learning, we know when a person is stressed, when they're challenged with their mental health, when they've experienced trauma, the brain gets rewired. Yeah. And the way they receive information is different. Yeah. So that, that navigating conversations piece is really about giving people not so much scripts, but a framework for understanding how to share that information in a way that's going to be received in a way that's demonstrating your empathy, in a way that is, you know, creating a collaborative environment. No one likes to be, you know, say it because I say it so. Nobody likes that. Mm -mm. And a large part of a person who's who's experienced trauma is that loss of control. And so Mm. if you come into Mm. the space, Mm. do this because I say it so, Mm. you kind of create an environment that's toxic, and it's triggering. Yeah. So definitely that conversation, that communication piece is uber important. That I don't I don't that didn't come up in our first conversation and I don't that that feels like a prof, that f- feels profound to me that uh I don't I'm having a bit of a moment cuz I'm thinking even just about my own experiences with trauma or secondary trauma and that loss of control is so spot on. And it, and a, a, I'll say this, a trap or a pattern we know that we can fall into when we're in those positional powers of authority is command and control because it's easier. It is easier to be transactional. It is easier for us to just tell somebody what to do when that might not be what's most effective. I've never thought about it through the lens of, depending on the person you're working with, they may have a lifetime of not feeling in control. And so you doing this could only accelerate potentially re-traumatizing or just at the very minimum, not setting it up for an effective, an effective relationship. Uh, That, yeah, that's, Can you say more about that? Just that idea of loss of control. I mean, just, I'm just really curious now. 
Yeah. I mean, if, if you think about what trauma is, and I, I know a lot of people don't really think about trauma mm-hmm. or what it is. Um, so I guess just to give a, a overarching understanding of it, trauma is when an event happens that overwhelms us in a way that we don't feel safe. We don't feel in control. And it disallows us to utilize the way we typically cope. Yeah. You know, we, we face stress each and every day. We have these ways to cope, but there's stress and then there's stress, yeah. there's toxic stress, yeah. there's chronic stress, and then there's trauma. So those coping mechanisms that we would typically use to manage through, they, they don't work for us in the same way. So the trauma is impacting us in a very different way. But the foundation of that is something is happening to me that I don't have control over. Mm. Something is happening to me that I don't feel safe in. Mm. And if there are incidents, if there are events, if there are experiences, if there are people that remind me of that feeling of not having control, Mm. then what person A sees as that change, I am, as person B, feeling not in control. I'm going to experience it in a totally different Mm. way. And I think people don't, and leaders specifically, don't understand why change management is so troubling. It's because you're changing, which then by definition of the word change, you're losing control exactly. of where your stability is. Yeah. And if you don't manage change in an effective way with that understanding of how to navigate your folks in, in a healthy way, you have triggered all sorts of control issues. And then that shows up perhaps as resistance. Mm-hmm. And people managers without the skill set will push back against that resistance. Yeah. And that's not healthy. Yeah, they minimize, they dismiss, they discredit, they judge. And that's that's something I've been lovingly holding a mirror up to is when I hear leaders using highly critical language to talk about their team members. Mm -hmm. And and part of it is I understand that they're frustrated. Uh, You know, they're struggling because they don't know how to move forward again. They we all want things to be easy, <laughs> even if that's not an option or the reality. Yeah. And, you know, but to just hold up to hold up that mirror, because if you're thinking that even if you would never say that out loud, that language, it's changing how you're viewing those people. And that, you know, that loss of control you talk about, that's something that we speak to a lot is people don't fear change. We change all the time. We fear loss. And it's that whether that's loss of control, loss of stability, loss of familiarity. More with Erica Reed in a moment. Well, there's a couple couple of things that are coming up for me. One is before before we hopped on, we were chatting a bit and talking about the layers and the complexity. And I, I understand why what we're asking managers can feel very overwhelming. I understand why sometimes people go, but I'm not a therapist. I'm like, I know you're not a therapist, but you are, not only are you working with this human, for probably you are with this person for more time than anyone else is with this person. You, There's a lot of research just recently that's coming out about how your boss has as much, sometimes more, influence over your mental and emotional well-being than your own spouse. 
for sure. Uh, you know, the fact that you're, I mean, this is no surprise, but they're just finally putting really explicit numbers to it that if you're in a toxic environment, it literally can shave off like three to five years off your life. I mean, these it's significant consequences, whether we care about them or want to pay attention to them that bear. So I guess let's talk about the layers. Like how do we help how do we help leaders, managers who feel overwhelmed by the complexity step into that a bit more? And maybe that's not even the right language. But that's what's coming up for me. You know, like what's the what's the invitation for those leaders? Because and forgive me to, for organizing my thoughts a bit because my brain is moving really quickly right now. There are absolutely people who get it and who are trying to show up differently and they're trying to do the work. And again, it's lifelong, right? Like we were always going to be no, no human. Every time you work with somebody new, it's going to be a new book you have to read. It's a right. new thing you have to learn, new operating manual, right? So it is as ongoing learning. And not only that, you could work for, with somebody for 20 years and they're not the same person as when you started working together. And then there's, you know, people in the middle, but then you have the, the people who, again, I go to this crowd that says, why should I have to think about this stuff? Like, what's our, what's our entry point to help them think about the layers of the human experience, the layers of trauma, when there may be resistance to like, but I'm not a therapist. And you and I have talked about this, I know, in the first session, but I'm just our conversation, but I'm, I'm just curious what comes up for you. I love that you said session instead of conversation. I know. So I, know. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a session with you. <laughs> um, you know, and unfortunately, there are a lot of those folks out there that say, well, why do I have to do it? I'm not a therapist. And to your point, we're not asking people to be therapists. Please don't. Because yeah, you can yeah. actually hurt somebody. <laughs> we don't want that. I think our first conversation, you're like, good. Yeah. No, we do not yeah. want that. No, no, don't want that. <laughs> Um, but the, the, the thing to keep in mind is you don't have to be a therapist to care about people. Yeah. So, and I guess we could have an argument that there are some people that just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And there are. Yeah. That's true. But let's just, let's just go with the assumption that you, you as a people person, you as a people manager, you actually do have a measure of care about people. You're busy. You have a lot on your plate. You have a lot of responsibility with that position that you're in. And that employee, that, that employee over there, she's not the only one that you have to lead. Yeah. But I'm going to tap into the fact that you actually do have a spirit of care in you. So don't look at it as I need to therapize her. Look at her as a person that maybe I just need to take a moment. Just one minute. I know mm. you're busy. Just one minute. That's all I'm asking. And if you frame it that way, let me just take a minute and check in mm. with Erica. In the last meeting, I saw her video all of a sudden go off. Mm. I don't know what was going on, but instead of me assuming that she's now all of a sudden doing something else instead of focusing on a meeting, let me after the meeting check in with her and say, hey, Erica, how you doing? Is everything on, everything on okay? Is there anything I can support you with? Mm. That's not you diving into her business. That's mm -hmm. not you asking mental health assessment questions. It's you noticing a shift, letting her know that you notice, and offering her the opportunity to ask for support and guidance. 
that's just a person who cares. Yeah. You would have done that with a person, you know, and th- that you're a good friend with. You can do that with your employee as well. You don't have to therapize them just to care. Yeah. And asking questions. I love curiosity. Curiosity is really the, the for me, the foundation of empathy. Because mm-hmm. if you lean in with curiosity, if you lean in from a position of not knowing, it helps you st- step outside of the bias because our feet mm. stay in a position of bias. We all have mm. them. If you don't think you have a bias, then we need to chat because you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are full of biases. Yeah. That's okay. It's human, but we can't practice empathy if we're grounded in our bias. So that curiosity allows us to shift our position away from our bias and more towards empathy. And if I can get folks just to start with care, compassion, empathy, I think that's a good starting point for yeah. those that just don't get it. It, it I want to echo that point of it's a moment. I, I, that is something something that I've learned in my journey. That is something that I've whether it's my journey personally or the work that we do and one of the things we always tell people is micro moments, macro impact. This isn't about sitting with somebody for two hours, although maybe sometimes it is. It happens, right? Life happens. But it's just that that it's just a moment. And, and I go back to how you described when people become uncomfortable, they stay still. And I'm thinking of a number of recent conversations I was witness to personally and professionally where another person shared something vulnerable and the reaction from others, essentially because they were uncomfortable with it. Not that they didn't care, not that they uh, didn't love this person, not that they didn't maybe support this person. Uh, And I have quite a few scenarios actually that are coming through my head again, both personally and with client work but then they just say nothing. And what that does is it, and, and, and it's just as simple as acknowledging and checking in, right? And it's just this micro moment. And it's this idea of how do we show up for people in this moment? Um, I think that there are times when, to your point uh, of what you said earlier, people are like, I don't know what to say. So I'm just going to say nothing. Uh, you know, one of the things that I often tell people, just even telling somebody, thank you for sharing that with me. Just that moment of being seen and heard, or even if it's a situation where you go, wow, I'm not even sure how to respond to that, but like, I'm here and how can I support you? Or would this be helpful or whatever the case might be? For sure. And even, you know, to your point, that's a part of navigating those difficult conversations is people amazing people, a lot of amazing people are in their position because their ability to be a fixer. Yeah. And that's a huge pressure and weight Mm. that people take ownership for. Mm. I hear a problem. I see a problem. I must fix it. Mm. And when people come to you in a vulnerable state and they share something, as you mentioned, their default is, okay, let me fix it. Yeah. And, and this is personally and professionally, we, you know, we're looking at both lenses here. Sometimes people just need space. Yeah. And in giving yourself permission to put down that fixer hat and just put on the space, the, the hat of gifting space, a safe space, 
that may be the most powerful thing you can do and just reflect back to them. I can hear that what you've shared has been very difficult for you. I can see that, you know, I can see this is upsetting for you. Just reflecting back yeah. is, is, a, is a wonderful way just to create that space as well. Yeah, I, I really am appreciating how you described that. I'm, let me be more clear. I'm really appreciating how you described that desire to take ownership and thus ultimately taking on the burden of fixing somebody. It's interesting to think about it through the lens of a bit of a, a burden because it can it can be that way of shoot, how do I make this better? Uh, because that's my job. Because again, when we're talking about managers, the thing that I often tell people is you have been rewarded for solving problems. You are in the position you are probably largely because of the technical problems you have been able to solve. We also know that the brain feels really good when it solves problems. <laughs> so we get that little hit when it's, I told you so, like I could, I, I was right. <laughs> but it's interesting to reframe it as that's not a burden you need to carry when someone's struggling. You can witness, you can see, you can sit with, you can acknowledge, you can offer support, all of those things. Um, and and again, most of the times, that's actually what people want and need. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, the timing of our conversation, and I'm not sure exactly when this episode will air, but the timing of this conversation is really important. Well, there's always going to be something happening in the world. The world is a messy, messy place right now. But I want to take a moment. I, I, I want to explore a little bit of this idea of, again, I don't know if it's secondary trauma. So let me finish my thought listeners. Thank you. So at, at the, at the, the moment of recording this, I'm from Iowa. Yesterday we experienced an unfortunate and very unfortunately common experience in America, uh, which was a school shooting that left a young sixth grader uh, killed the 17 year old who had been bullied relentlessly. Um, the shooter uh, self-inflicted um, multiple people shot while it wasn't my school. Uh, you couldn't help but be impacted by it, right? We were literally recording at our studio, hearing the life flight helicopters going in the ambulance. And you knew, even though it was a town half an hour away. But when we talk about, you know, an event, an event can not always be like an explicit, this happened directly to me. And I'm thinking about my colleague, Dr. Teresa Peterson, who has three young children who are of that age. She spent um, decades in the education system. So like just her own experience as an educator going through those drills, her own experience of probably knowing many of the educators. It was a very different experience for her to read that news than it was for me. And, and, you know, and then we can talk about other scenarios. We were talking about the resignation of Dr. Claudine Gay from Harvard, uh, the Harvard president, and how some people can read that news and feel one way. 
uh, or, or, you know, like as a white person, I might read it and have a reaction. But seeing the reaction from my fellow black women friends, the reaction was very different. It was it was much more personal. It was so all of this is to say, can we talk? I want to talk a little bit about that secondary trauma, because I feel like people that I am around understand that it's important to show up for people when something really dramatically impacts them, even if they don't have the skills, like they understand that. But what does it look like to show up for somebody? Let's talk about that secondary trauma and what it looks like to show up for them in those moments. That that was a very loaded and lengthy getting to this point. You know, I totally get it because there's so much going on. And, you know, the, the illustrations you gave, Obviously, it did not happen to person sitting in their cubicle at that moment, but you know it's impacting them. It's 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 they're they're they have a personal connection, even though there's no personal connection. And I think that's one of the most challenging things for you know I, I don't want to keep picking on people managers here or even HR professionals, but that is one of the most challenging things for the workplace to to show up for is when something happens to you, but not to you. You know, I can, I I can show up and understand if your loved one passed away and, you know, that I can get that, but you on your way into work, you were listening to the newscast and you heard about this school shooting and you show up in the office and you're upset and you're crying and, you know, you're not, you're not tuned into the meetings and, you know, you want to leave early. I don't get that. Yeah. I don't get that. Mm. If I can just make it as simple as possible, pain is pain. (sighs) I have experienced pain in my life. And when I see someone else in pain, it's going to, for some reason, you know, we're wired this way. I didn't make it up. We're just, we're just wired to connect to other humans. And unfortunately, my pain is going to connect to what I what I make an assumption to a certain extent that someone else is experiencing to their pain. And when I see them in pain, it opens up my pain. Mm -hmm. I can see myself in that situation or I can see myself in my situation, but the pain is open. Mm -hmm. So I am experiencing this event, you know, even if I'm going back to the the trauma definition of the three E's, event, experience, and effect, Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing this event based upon my previous events in life, based upon the effects it's had on me short-term and long-term. So that's actually part of understanding what it means to be a trauma-informed leader Mm -hmm. is leaning in away from that bias of, well, why are you upset this didn't happen to you? And showing up with that observation, I can, you know, hey, Erica, it looks like, um, you, you, are you okay? You look a bit upset right now. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you would like to talk about for a moment? We could just step out of the hallway into my office. Just showing up. Yeah. You don't have to understand why they're upset. You don't have to agree. Mm-hmm. You don't have to relate. Mm-hmm. You can just show up. And I, I love that, you know, you acknowledge that people are going to experience things differently, even based upon how a black woman may experience mm-hmm. something based upon a white woman. 
you know, things are not equitable as much as we would like mm-hmm. to, to think that they are. The way trauma impacts people is not equitable. The way mm-hmm. that, you know, relationships impact people, it's, it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. We, we need to have an understanding once again that my unique lived experiences come with me wherever I go. And that's going to be the lens through which I view stuff through. So if I feel that someone is experiencing something that's reflective of what I have had, where I felt judged or I felt that I had to conform or I felt like I had to put on a show just to be accepted, Mm -hmm. where I felt like I had to minimize myself to make other people feel comfortable. If those have been my lived experiences and I see someone else showing up in a way that pulls upon that for me, I'm going to see that situation in a very different light than someone else who may not have had that lived experience Yeah, because it's just not equitable. It There's so much. There's so much. There's so much in that last three minutes. Pain is pain. You can show up and not agree. Right. I mean, and again, that's, it just goes back to that. It's just a minute. It's not, it's just a minute of acknowledgement. And, and honestly, for most people, that's all they need. Are, are there, are there scenarios where someone is dealing with such intense mental health issues or trauma that they might actually need more professional support? Absolutely. Right. Are there times when that's the case? Absolutely. The vast majority of moments, again, like I feel like just need the moment of showing up. And and I and I I think that's an interesting invitation or challenge or however you want to put it that you're you're giving us to say. I might not have experienced it. I might not even agree with it. But I can see that you are in pain. And instead of dismissing, judging or criticizing, I'm just going to acknowledge it and, you know, and and be with it. It's one of the things that is exhausting to me. I'll just say it like that is when I hear phrases like just don't take it personally or leave emotions at the door or like that's awesome that you can compartmentalize your emotions. I am a deeply feeling person. I'm a deeply empathetic. I am deeply. I was, I come from a very sensitive, (laughs) sensitive family, right? And, and that always, always bothered me. I'm like, I don't actually want to be numb like you. I want to be present with life, which means I want to be present with the good stuff. And that means I'm present with the tough stuff. And, I, I don't even know what my opi- like opinion or where I'm going with this is, but um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just sitting there and thinking how how much more effective we could be for each other with each other that instead of dismissing, instead of discrediting, instead of denying, judging, you just saw it. For what it was, whether you agreed with it or not, whether you shared the experience or not, and you just showed up for someone like it, mm-hmm. it seems so simple, but I know it's not necessarily that simple in practice. And, and that's the challenging piece when we um, 
we can't gift someone with just a moment. Just, yeah. you know, one of the things that we hear so often from employees is, is as to why they are not satisfied at work. It's not the work. Everybody just Mm-mm. gets the fact that they got to work hard. Yeah. You, know, yeah. just, you know, we get that. It's how they feel in that space, that they don't feel seen, that they don't mm-hmm. feel heard, that they don't feel valued, that they don't feel developed. These are all people manager things, right? Yeah. And if you just give somebody a moment to say, hey, I see you, I notice you, what's going on? How can I support? Seen, heard, valued, right? Developed. Yeah. Just one moment. And I think a lot of it stems from lack of self-leadership, which is actually that final mm. piece of the framework. Is oh, right. We have an S in the lens. We have an S. Yeah. We got to look through the lens. Love it. And we cannot ignore the impact of self and self-leadership. Yeah. And, you know, once again, it connects to that emotional intelligence piece because self-awareness is that foundation, is that building block. If there's no self-awareness, if you if you don't have an understanding of how your unique lived experience is showing up, as you mentioned before, about the cognitive distortions, you know, that's some fancy phrase for just saying you got stinking thinking, yeah. you know, how you... <laughs> view the world is it through that lens of you know taking ownership for everything and everything is my fault and my catastrophizing where i see all the worst case possible scenarios and i've created this narrative for myself Mm -hmm. before it even happens Mm -hmm. if it's perfectionism where i have such a need for things to be just right or create stress and anxiety for myself and i procrastinate because i'm worried that it's not going to turn out Mm -hmm. right so i put it off and put it off until i'm stressed Mm -hmm. I may be talking to somebody or maybe talking to myself. I don't know. (laughs) But when leaders practice that self-leadership, when they see how their own trauma responses, that whole fight, flight, freeze, fawn piece shows up. When they recognize that they're experiencing that secondary trauma because they have their own stuff. So they may be that open leader who has that relationship with their employees that the employees actually come and say, hey, my kid just experienced this mm. and they're being bullied. And mm. you as a leader, you're amazing. You have empathy. But as a result of that, and you're not practicing the self-care strategies you need to do, now you're taking on other people's stuff. Mm. And you're carrying it around with you in addition to your own stuff. So that self-leadership is protection as well. Yeah. Especially if you have that gift of empathy. Yeah. Erica, we have... We can just continue to explore this topic. And I have so many ideas of book chapters and articles and ideas <laughs> just in like us talking. Um, well, you know, no question. We'll have you back on the show. We've had you twice. We'll have you a third time for sure, just so we can continue to deepen this conversation. Um, I just, you know, I thank you for the work that you do and the way that you explain things that can feel really overwhelming in very digestible and practical ways. I love this lens language of thinking about these practices. Um, So thank you. I always learn something from you. The whole stay still is like, oh, I've never thought like I've thought of it like that, but I've never named it like that. I'm like, that's a 
Okay, there's an there's an Erica Reed quote that's going to be going up in a presentation now, so I'm going to need a headshot. But um, uh, how can people who are interested in learning more, either for themselves as a leader or bringing you into an organization, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Yes, um, I would love to connect and chat and share. And the best way to reach me is through my website, actually, is going to leadingwellsolutions.com. And there you'll be able to see some of the ways that we can work together, whether it's training uh, people managers within your organization, um, one-on-one individual leadership development coaching, or even if as a self-reflective activity, you want to do the on-demand course, which Mm. walks you through how to lead with empathy. And I'm really excited because it's got the SHRM approval because yeah. it's a recertification provided. Yeah. Yay. So <laughs> HR pros can get their credits in there too. No, that's awesome. And of course, LinkedIn is the place to be. So you can reach me there um, under Erica and Reed LCSWC is my personal page. And then the business page is Leading Well Solutions. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to check out the new rebrand too. So I have to I have to go look at your site and see all of your goodies. Erica, thank you so much for showing up and, and helping others learn how to show up too. Thank you so much for this amazing, insightful conversation. It's always a joy just to be in your presence. Uh-huh. Thanks. Our guest this week has been my dear friend and colleague, Erica Reed. And There's a number of things we talked about that resonated with me personally and professionally. That whole point of pain is pain is there's something about that that is such a good reminder. I don't need to evaluate or judge someone's pain. It's just it's there. So how can I be present with it? That's a real gift. And we always want to hear from you, our friends near and far. What resonates for you? What came up for you? What questions do you have? And we do love to hear from you. So my DMs are always open. LinkedIn is the best place to connect with me. Otherwise, you can send us an email at podcast at com. And if you'd like to support the show first, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. The more reviews we get, the more comments we get, the more exposure we get, and we can continue to have great conversations like the one we had today. Also, if you would like to support the crew that makes this show possible, you can do that by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where your financial support 100% goes to support the team that makes this show possible. And you get some pretty great unique swag as well. I want to take a moment to thank our incredible team that makes this show possible to our producer, Nick Wilson, to our sound editor, Drew Knoll, to our transcriptionist, Becky Reiner, our marketing consultant, Jessica Burge, and the rest of the Snowco crew. While I'm the one in the microphone, I am not the one that makes this happen. We have an incredible team. And I want to just give a final thank you to Erica Reed and all of the work that she does. It is so necessary. It's important. And not only will it make you a better leader, her work just makes you a better person. And who doesn't want that? And finally, I want to thank you all. We are so fortunate to have so many friends in so many countries. And I just want you to know that every time we see a new listener in a new country, we get excited. And I feel like we have friends all over. So please know how much we appreciate Appreciate your support, you listening. Don't hesitate to reach out and thank you for your support of the show. 
This, my friends, has been another episode of Conversations on Conversations. Thank you again so much for listening, for showing up for you, for showing up for others. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So please be sure to rest, rehydrate, recover, resource yourself, and we'll see you again next week.